Hi, everyone. I'm Chuck Saren, VP of Industry Marketing for MedTech and Life Sciences at Propel, and welcome to the Product Success Podcast, Quality and Medical Devices. I'm joined by Rachel Jang, a Senior Solution Consultant here at Propel. This podcast brings together thought leaders from the health and life sciences industry talking about compliance, quality, and product success in the medical devices. Before we dive in, you can find all episodes of this podcast under the resources tab at propelplm.com. Okay, hello everyone. Today I am joined by Carlo Stim Amiglio from Alira Health and Rachel Zhang from Propel. And we're gonna talk a bit about mergers and acquisitions, M&A, valuations, and really trends that are occurring across both MedTech and their CDMOs. So maybe Rachel, you could just say a quick hello. Yeah, hi, it's, it's great to be here today, Chuck. I'm really excited about today's episode. I think this is gonna be a really interesting conversation. Okay, cool. Glad you're here to join us. This is great. And then maybe Carly could tell me a bit about yourself. Like how does a prominent banker and finance expert, you know, what do you do for a company like Alira Health? Yeah. Hi, Chuck. Hi, Rachel. Thank you for having me. Hi. I'm also very excited to be online today and um, join your, your program of, of podcast. Um, thank you for the, for the assist, Chuck. I am an investment banker and uh, I do specialize in uh, medical devices. Uh, I'm a medtech geek. I love everything about devices, not only the transactional business aspect of it, but innovation first and foremost, and bringing new technologies and new solutions to doctors and patients. Ultimately, that's kind of the mission that that I'm really passionate about. And um, I work at a company, Alira Health, which you mentioned. Thank you. Uh, with who is which is a, an organization with a mission of uh, accelerating the development of medical technologies and and businesses and and so combines a diversity of services to uh, biopharma and medical device uh, diagnostics digital health uh, companies to uh, propel and accelerate uh, the the development of of new solutions and. Uh, uh, to commercialize these this products and to become successful in the market. Uh, my colleagues take care of regulatory and clinical affairs strategy of market access, strategy advisory. And my role as an investment banker is uh, to support our clients in this journey of product development and validation uh, in the latter part of their of their story when uh, they are uh, more ripe to be potentially acquired by, by large strategics, by ways of mergers and acquisition or other uh, structured deals and partnership that may span from commercial um, engagements or uh, uh, licenses or, uh, or you know, really a, a variety of, of potential structures. So uh, companies that are closer to the market that uh, have uh, uh, you know, some level of clinical validation or have some regulatory milestones and they're ready to, to go to market with their product. That's when they be, start to get in the radar screen of, of potential acquirers. And uh, we fancy, fancy ourselves of being able to accelerate that process and uh, shorten the time to exit for financial investors and uh, create, create value for, for the entire ecosystem. 
great. That's a great recap. It's a great place to be today with, uh, you know, the amount of M&A that's increasing in, in all these fronts, especially in, uh, in health and life sciences too. And I find it interesting because I, I remember how we met, um, or at least how I was introduced to you was reading a paper of yours um, on med tech and kind of the strategic buyer's perspective as I recall what the name was um, around M&A. And that was, you could find that on MassMedic. And I was introduced to you by Tom Summer, who's on our MedTech advisory board. Um, is also a long-reigning president of MassMedic and um, is at Alira Health now. So it was really cool to be introduced to you. And so here we are today, um, kind of chatting about this, this, this topic, a refreshing topic to, to hit on. And I, I think, you know, one of the things you're, you're touching on is a great place to be in the sense that, you know, med device acquisitions um, are, are really growing a lot today. But we see the I think the med tech med dev industry is growing only like six or 7%, you know, a lot more in life sciences and, and health and some other areas, but the average is like six or 7%, but we're seeing like OD, ODCM market, like double digit growth. So that's kind of an interesting thing, but maybe if you, you could sort of touch on some of the, what's going on in med device with, you know, financial conditions and how these opportunities are, are sort of being presented to you. I, I understand you have that strategy to, to, assess them and look at them, but what are some of the things that you're seeing across the industry? Um, yeah, well, let's address the elephant in the room. We are coming through a devastating pandemic yep. that has uh, you know, created a lot of dysfunction in the economy overall, and the healthcare industry has not been immune um, to the effect of COVID-19. Uh, first of all, you know, what is healthcare? Really, healthcare is a service that uh, you know to take care of people's health and you know to doctors perform it and you know use uh, products and prescribe medications right but obviously access to to healthcare has changed during covid a lot of resources have been dedicated uh, by hospitals uh, and uh, care providers to to face the emergency of covid and uh, some types of, of procedures have been inevitably left behind, right? Uh, this has created tremendous uh, effect during 2020, particularly when a lot of so-called elective procedures, so um, procedures that are not necessary to, you know, to, to the life of the patient have been pushed. And uh, these have particularly impacted uh, orthopedics, um, cardiovascular diseases, that uh, didn't pose an immediate threat on the life of the patients. Um, whereas, uh, you know, more um, uh, chronic diseases have continued to, to be, uh, you know, well cared for with the caveat that uh, uh, telemedicine and, you know, and remote care uh, as, you know, I've experienced an acceleration. So these, uh, th this change in paradigm in the way uh, care is, is provided as, you know, we've, we've really lived through it. And every one of us who has had to go to the doctor in the past year and a half, I'm sure we've had some, uh, some flavor of it. So this obviously uh, has uh, impacted uh, significantly the economics of the industry. Um, and, uh, you know, it has not been all negatives. There have been a lot of pluses and, and, and minuses. Uh, Elective procedures, of course, have uh, uh, created losses for for those players who are 
who provide services and, and, and products most exposed to elective procedures, but uh, others have thrived. Uh, you know, telemedicine has boomed, um, diagnostics and the quest for rapid uh, COVID testing uh, and all the, let's say the um, hospital supply uh, businesses that, uh, you know, have, uh, uh, were exposed to the surge in patient demand during this time. Uh, I've all contributed to keep the, the revenue of the industry afloat. So a lot of dysfunction with uh, some uh, overperformance and some underperformers. Uh, but the interesting thing is that the innovation space, so the dimension you know, that is more not focused on selling today's products for today's procedures, but all the pipeline of, uh, of work and uh, funding really that uh, meta companies dedicate to building the devices of tomorrow, that mm -hmm. has received an acceleration, okay? And uh, that has been very interesting. And that has come both for the initiative of uh, large strategics who have continued to feed their product portfolio via M&A of uh, emerging uh, technologies, but also the startup ecosystem that has been well-funded by record levels of, uh, you know, of venture funding. In fact, uh, capital raises of institutional investors like venture capitals and private equities have been, uh, you know, have, have had a record year uh, during 2020. And so the, all these uh, have reflected positively, both in the many activity, but, you know, on the prospects of the industry to really continue to thrive uh, in, the, in the near term, right? And Obviously, we can break this down in, in many, many ways. There are a lot of interesting trends that, that we can talk about. But I sort of wanted to take it broadly. And, uh, you know, hopefully this uh, gives us uh, food for our conversation in the, in the next half hour or so. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great avenue to discuss is the pandemic impacts, but also the pandemic recovery. And what's happening out of that is, you know, we've seen sort of that knee jerk of, like you said, elective surgeries. Um, you know, we've got a lot of customers that are in the orthopedics or, or some of these discrete manufacturing products that took a little bit of a hit, but then now they're coming online and they have to react extremely fast for their support people and other people, you know, having to get retrained, having to get access to those, um, you know, some of those valuable documents to, to, as the elective surgeries start to come back. And, and yeah, to your point also, we've seen a lot of, from a lot of customers you know, more in the diagnostics and genomics area and labs that, that are continuing to receive tremendous amount of funding and, and looking to improve their systems. So that's, that's a couple of vantage points that, that we've seen as well. So that, that's uh, really great points that you're, you're bringing up here. Um, so I guess maybe, uh, you know, diving into some of those trends, maybe that you just alluded to, what are some of the trends that you're seeing um, or, you know, maybe we can dive into some of the, the valuation pieces around these companies, but I'll let you kind of steer it from to the next step here. Yeah, um, happy to. And, uh, you know, when I look at the long-term trends of innovation, uh, that it's a big driver of many activity and uh, sort of a, a leading indicator of how the industry will move in the next five years, right? Uh, and uh, we've been through these cycles and, uh, uh, inevitably, you know, there are topics that are maybe a little more flashy and, uh, and buzzy than, than others, but uh, 
it, it's also the nature of, of, of the innovation cycle to sort of bring, um, uh, you know, to concentrate on, on, on certain themes. Uh, what I can certainly tell, you know, that, you know, the, we're li- now in a, in a living a, a period through, through COVID where, uh, but that is not only uh, determined by the, let's say, contingent moment, it's, you know, it's the effect of really where is a, a healthcare moving and what where the uh, regulation and the regulatory changes and the access to reimbursement, particularly mm-hmm. that is moving the system towards value-based care, right? So innovation that sticks is, is that, that is getting funded and that is getting acquired and finally brought to market by, by the large corporation is uh, about improving outcomes and generating savings for, for the healthcare system. And uh, uh, I think the most interesting, uh, let's say overarching theme is that of you know, convergence between the traditional biomechanical devices and uh, uh, digital. Um, you know, in, and this is happening uh, in, in a variety of ways. You know, let's, for example, mention, uh, you know, uh, sensor-guided devices to perform surgery, right? And ultimately that can, uh, it, you know, offer us a opportunity to talk, talk about robotic surgeries and, and systems that really make uh, the, the procedures more accurate, precise, and, and less invasive. Or we can talk about, again, telemedicine, which I brought up already, uh, you know, not only in, in terms of uh, patient monitoring, so the ability to monitor in real time and, and remotely, uh, you know, how patients are, especially patients with chronic diseases that, uh, you know, need you know, prompt access to, to care, but also at the therapeutic side of it, for example, um, auto injectors and, and inhalers and the drug delivery system that are smart and connected and, uh, you know, in, to, to promote compliance, therapeutic compliance. And, and so hopefully help to, to, you know, take better care of patient. Or uh, another, another area is that of, you know, uh, analytics. So systems that uh, help are, you know, are connected to a variety of, of devices and uh, you know, collect data from uh, many many points of, of contact with the patient, and uh, in a in a holistic fashion, uh, and um, uh, contribute to better manage the patient and hopefully get them out of the hospital in, into their home quicker. Right? These mm-hmm. are these are some ma- macro trends that I have. Uh, I've, you know, it's what what they have in common uh, is. Uh, you know, a, a strong, uh, um, you know, cornerstone of, of da- digital and, and data generation and data processing. So the software, the emergence of software really as a driver of innovation and something that uh, all companies need to uh, cope with and, you know, be- become uh, experts at, which several of, uh, you know, the, the large strategics may not, uh, be in in their DNA, right? Uh, you know, especially if if we consider companies, uh, you know, that are, that are being strictly focused on, on biomechanical devices for their 
for for the entire history. And so uh, this is also, you know, very, to me very interesting because it's pushing this organization to reinvent their business models and, and their organization, right? And um, uh, when they don't have these competencies or they're not able to either develop these uh, capabilities internally or acquire them via M&A, uh, one of the choices that they, uh, and op opportunities they have is to uh, outsource those capabilities, right? That to uh, outsourcing organization, contract development and manufacturing uh, groups that may supply these, not only- uh, 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 Carlo, uh, can you hold on one second? It's breaking up a little bit on your side. Um, I think I'm at worst. Let's step back a few seconds just to make sure. And, and I, I'm going to recap uh, some of the trends you mentioned are awesome, by the way. I, I didn't want to stop you. You had, they had like five or six and seven and growing. But yeah, one of the, one of the great trends that I, I've, we've seen a lot of is, is that, you know, that you mentioned the mechanical and the digital. And, um, you know, with these companies that are doing like, you know, testing and diagnostics, you know, you have the device and then you have the software and, and we're seeing so much of that right now. Um, and it's increasingly important to manage both and be able to have both product, all that product structure, if you will, managed very well so that you've got the device that's got all the components. And a lot of times it's outsourced or it's partnered with some of these, you know, larger companies and, and all the different devices they make. And then we're, you know, we're dealing with the companies that are also making the software only like software is a medical device that work on a general platform and it could be the, all of these other devices. So it's managing the, the software is, is definitely an increasing trend. And I'm kind of breaking your trend down into some, some of the things that I'm seeing a lot of. And uh, it's, it's just a, it's a fascinating growth curve we're seeing um, happen as well. And, you know, Getting to the analytics is a little farther downstream for us, you know, the real world data and being able to actually gather that to the right registry or the right, to you mentioned, the right disease and, you know, and, and being able to feed that back into that whole product development, you know, life cycle to improve the product, improve and increase patient outcomes. So these are all, you know, tremendous things that we're seeing as well. So that's, that's a great one. I think you started to, um, I don't know if you have any comments further on that. Um, but I, I think you oh, I think I, I I I think you're spot on. I hope you can hear me better now. Yes. And um, that's exactly you know uh, I, I completely share your view and and uh, you know I, I echoed this this comment. There's tremendous uh, activity you know in in the conversion of, of software and uh, and traditional uh, you know, biomechanical devices or biochemistry driven. Uh, uh, technologies like uh, like diagnostics uh, and um, but I, I was concluding to say that not all of the innovation is uh, comes from this convergence. Uh, medicine is still very much focused on you know creating uh, you know less invasive approaches to treating patients and so making the traditional devices smaller, uh, and more accurate in itself, you know, is is a tremendous trend. You know, that even if even when it's not powered by software capabilities. So, uh, right. I, I was at a I was at a, a medical device conference some time ago, and we were talking about the future of uh, of surgery, and uh, uh, there were all these entrepreneurs engaged in uh, you know very 
very fascinating, you know, the robotic system that, you know, imagine that the doctor will be a computer someday. And, and then a, a veteran of the industry stood up and said, hey, yeah, but don't forget that we, you know, we need to, to develop the instrument too that go inside the body. Yeah, those need to, to work better. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I, I think was a, um, uh, you know, resonated well with me. Uh, you know, innovation is, you know, as to, it cannot be unidimensional. And uh, as Alira Health and, and you know, the deal flow that I, that I work with, I see a lot across the board really. And, uh, uh, but, but, you know, I, th- I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, uh, the, the, the advent of software and, and digital in medicine is, uh, you know, uh, is a is an historical uh, shift in in the way medicine is performed, and we we have to cope with it. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great point. I, I worked at Stryker for a decade and saw a tremendous amount of acquisitions, including a, a robotics company and. Got to see about you know what that does bringing you know bringing these types of companies into our you know corporate structure from you know systems and selling and yeah it was it was fascinating to see how robotics can really make a surgeon better right it doesn't replace the surgeon but it can make them better in a lot of ways or you know extend their capabilities too so that that was you know intriguing part of that um, I think the other thing you started to allude on um, was you know just technology and innovation and how, you know, that really is sort of the, the starts to extend what the real value of a company is both a a big company or a company that is being acquired and trying to figure out like, what is their, how do they fit into the market? What are they trying to do? How does that work? And I think that leads to kind of that value thing that you alluded to in your introduction about, you know, working down to accelerate that understand what they have and, and extract that value out. So I think that's a, a, a nice segue into, you know, what makes these companies valuable, um, you know, maybe beyond just technology and innovation, but, you know, are, are there other things that allude to that value that you're looking for? Absolutely. Well, I think the main driver of value is the market fit of the technology with the uh, uh, some unmet needs, right? Either to improve the way procedures are performed today or create new procedures. Uh, and then what, what determines that value is the size of the market. So the, uh, the, the volume of procedures uh, and uh, you know, the, the, the incidence of, uh, of, of a certain disease and a certain uh, uh, you know, practice, medical practice. Uh, and the other side of it is uh, the value of it, right? And value is uh, determined by, you know, what are the patient outcomes associated to that procedure? Obviously, very delicate uh, uh, procedures that, uh, you know, are, are high risk for the life of the patient or, you know, they can determine, uh, you know, the difference between life and death and extremely high clinical value. And, uh, but from a business point of view, uh, how that value is then, um, uh, you know, translate in monetary terms is, uh, you know, get the access to, to reimbursement. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so there, uh, under understanding that value proposition and the uh, path to, to reimbursement 
is uh, is becoming increasingly uh, important. And in fact, uh, as a broker, I I partner a lot with my team at Alira, who take care of uh, healthcare economic and outcome uh, research. Uh, be, because that drives a, a huge part of the value. And then, of course, you need the, the, the clinical validation, right? And the, the, you need doctors to, to want to use your technology. Uh, so it, these are all two, two sides of, of the same coin. And I think a, a, a large part of you know, the strategic fit that, that uh, a potential acquirers are, are searching for is really... Uh, focus on these two parameters. Mm-hmm. Then around the, these uh, this core, there are um, you know there is a a long list of uh, you know um, elements of value that are more related to the implementation of uh, of the medical device business, right? And uh, uh, the readiness for 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 commercialization. I'm mm-hmm. thinking, for example. Uh, you know, access to um, a supply chain, you know, um, obviously the regulatory compliance and uh, the you know, commercial uh, infrastructure uh, or quality management systems, right? These are all more, uh, not, not so much related to the inherent value of the technology and its market fit, but more about how does the business implement the go-to-market strategy? Mm-hmm. And uh, what we can see is that uh, these more um, uh, operational uh, points are are becoming very important for from the perspective of, of strategic acquirers because uh, they are looking to maximize the time to market of the devices and the emerging technologies that they 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 acquire in an M and A deal, and uh, they don't want to have to spend a lot of time and, and money and resources in integration, right? So more and more, they're looking for startups or venture back uh, medical device companies, uh, those that actually pursue innovation to take care of all these um, all these elements, right? And, and maximize their readiness for immediate commercialization uh, or implementation in, inside the the larger infrastructure of, of the acquiring company. And, um, and sometimes they're deal breaker. You know, you may have a, a fantastic uh, innovation and intellectual property with good data, clinical data and uh, uh, you know, a, a proven market fit. But if uh, you know, you're not uh, do, you know, pursuing your regulatory strategy right, or uh, you're not, uh, marketing it the right way or you know you're you don't have a readiness to 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 manufacture at scale and with the right quality systems you know you're you're going to be less attractive for a potential acquirer and so uh these are boxes to check and prioritize and they have strategic importance as much as uh really uh anything else and uh we advise uh, our clients across the board and our our mission as uh, as advisor is to get them as ready as as possible and you know also um, learn how to prioritize what they should take care of right and uh, uh, ultimately uh, to to 
to be very strategic and uh, creative in the way they may pursue deals and partnerships, right? Uh, as, as you said, the goal is to uh, enable them to, to realize the value and exit as soon as possible. And, and that can be uh, implemented in, in a variety of ways. And, uh, but there has to be- uh, I'll, I'll touch on a point there, um, just to give you a break here for a minute and add some, so many great thoughts about you know, designing for reimbursement earlier, designing for regulatory, what, what regulatory pathways. I mean, there's a lot of conversations we can, I don't want to dive too deep into the, into the quality and product um, lifecycle management world, but just understanding where you're going to go. And, and, you know, these startups need to think a little bit about the reimbursement pathway. Um, you know, where are we actually going to, you know, we may get acquired before we, before we launch a commercialized product, but you have to design for that regulatory pathway too. I think those were um, a couple important points that you were making there. And then, you know, music to our ears, of course, the quality system, having the right quality system in place so that you can capture all those R&D decisions made along the way or the design decisions and your quality quality documents like your DHF, your design history, all that master files around R&D and building that evidence to really show you've got a great device so that to your point, acquirers don't want to acquire some somebody that's, you know, trying to document things after the factor in hindsight. So your valuation, when you talk about value, you know, strong QMS really stands up to that by, by having it in early and capturing those designs and thoughts as you're going and you're cycling through testing and, you know, getting through bench or animal testing and, and, and keeping all of that in line. So hopefully that resonates in parallel with what, what you're talking about a little bit. Oh, absolutely. And I think this is uh, mostly relevant for startups and early companies that a don't have a lot of resources initially, right. Or may not have all the expertise in-house on how to manage quality uh, and sometimes realize too late that they were supposed to, you know, um, uh, develop a, a, a strong system. And uh, that may create uh, problems, uh, not only at the point of acquisition, um, usually by the time they, they get to an m and event, uh, you know, they, they grow, they mature, they, they raise multiple rounds of funds. And so their capabilities uh, and, and management expertise also grow in this journey. But early stage uh, innovation, you know, that is always, uh, you know, that is looking to, to get access to funding, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they need to get this right from the start. And uh, the failing to do so may hinder their ability to raise money and uh, or uh, cause them to, uh, you know, move along the, the development process and then re realize that they did something wrong and then having to spend a lot of resources to go back, right? And that burns uh, financial resources and uh, there are most scarce in, uh, in, in this industry, right? Especially at, the, at an early stage uh, level. So this is one of the don'ts, uh, you know, uh, that, or the mantras rather that uh, startups should, should follow, you know, quality is, is king. And you know, they have to start proactively managing the quality system from the very, very start. Almost, I would say, from the, the first uh, uh, you know, design on, on paper 
uh, all the way to you know the, the clinical study uh, ma management so that is something you know unfortunately is a, is a mistake and uh, you know or, or rather that we, we see a lot of organization uh, stumble upon and uh, it, you know, we, we always uh, try to advise uh, against that uh, when when we engage with early stage companies. Yeah, yeah. We, I would say we definitely see our, our customers are much more successful when they start using that quality system very early, make the time for it, getting everything aligned and, and validating. And um, it just makes them much more successful than, you know, I've, I've seen several companies who put it off and say they don't have time to do it. And then it just hurts them in the end. Yeah. When they get to their verification validation steps, it's, it's like, okay, well, what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. You've seen that a lot in, in, in deploying these customers and mm -hmm. how to get them onto a, a new or an improved system. So I could see how, yeah, your, your point is very salient and, and valuable. Um, I think the other thing I've seen too, is, you know, I've been being at Striker, I was in, involved with quite a few acquisitions, both startup and even a billion dollar acquisition, you know, everywhere in between. And, you know, as you, acquire these companies, you have to, you know, to Rachel's point too, is dive in and see what do they have. And, you know, that, that creates value, but it also creates, well, how much work is it going to be to get these, them incorporated? And in one case, in the billion dollar startup, we want to get the product sellable as soon as possible. So you have to extract out their, you know, what are their products, um, you know, their top level products and some of the components and which suppliers are they using was critical so that you can get it maybe into your system and integrated ERP and get it sellable as quickly as possible and have your sales rep start selling the product. And then you can kind of come back later and maybe get some of the quality, let them sort of survive on there, whether it's a good quality system or a bad quality system or paper, let them sort of survive on that a little bit and then migrate that in sometimes full heartedly if they do it really well, or sometimes it has to be done in chunks and pieces. So, you know, it just, it, it does, um, push your point, Carlo, of, you know, having that early, having that in, and, and also Rachel of having, having those in just has value to everybody, um, along the way. So that's, that's great. Um, I think I, I might ask, uh, you know, another way to segment this is talk a little bit about, you know, there is a trend now of med device companies saying, well, you know, outsourcing, and you started to touch on this, and I think you started to break up a little earlier, Carlo, and, and uh, we're, we're moving on to kind of why do, why do big med techs um, or, or manufacturers want to start outsourcing some of the product? And, and to your point, you mentioned innovation and technology in startups, but it's also innovation and technology within these CDMOs. Not only do they leverage supply and spend and, and have, you know, great ways to build the product for them, um, but they also have a lot of times that technology and, and innovation that they bring from, say, the industry to help these, these vast portfolios of companies to, you know, help them design these products better, incorporate design for manufacturing now, too, into the, into the, the, the stream, and then, um, you know, also leverage spend and, and leverage risk. So maybe, maybe we talk a little bit about the CDMO landscape a little bit, and maybe some of the trends you're seeing there and some advice. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and um, that uh, outsourcing organization are definitely growing their weight. Uh, not only in terms of uh, being an important part of the 
supply chain of medical products, but also to become accelerators of, of innovation. And uh, that comes also with, uh, as, you, as you perfectly described, as you know, becoming uh, innovation-driven and technology-driven companies um, in their own right. And um, you know, we see it particularly uh, in, in the area of, of digital devices, for example, which yeah. uh, we, we mentioned earlier in our conversation, you know, designing um, a, you know, a, a software you know, requires very deep uh, expertise, right? You need um, data statisticians, uh, programmers, software engineers, and uh, mechanical engineers that understand how to integrate that into into a, 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 a mechanical system. So uh, more and more, these, these uh, you know, especially the large CDMOs that can, uh, you know, operate uh, in, in an integrated fashion uh, across uh, the realm of, you know, product development and then manufacturing need to possess these capabilities. And um, uh, they're really becoming tech companies in a way. Uh, and uh, they dedicate their mission to helping other organizations to improve their products and as opposed to creating products of their own. But um, nonetheless, extremely sophisticated uh, capabilities. And how are they doing that? Well, they are also growing uh, by uh, inorganically by M&A. I think that's the worst kept secret that the outsourcing industry in medical has experienced a tremendous amount of capital investments from financial sponsors like private equities, and which has really pushed a trend of consolidation in the industry, but also to create a larger, more, you know, more global organizations also with much more sophisticated competences. And um, uh, this you know, is not happening on a general basis. I think what the, the interesting part of it is that we're seeing uh, contract manufacturers dedicated to specific uh, therapeutic areas or verticals of the med tech market, right? Mm-hmm. And to, to offer that degree of, of specialization, uh, which is paramount. You, know, you cannot be an innovator in, in everything all the time. So we're seeing uh, companies in the cardiovascular space, for example, being you know developing these uh, streamlined um, value chain of services uh, that is becoming you know in, in, in such a high value uh, healthcare market due to the prevalence of, of cardiovascular disease. Is becoming, you know, almost a an ecosystem of its own. Uh, if you look at, for example, the design of catheters and uh, implants, cardiovascular implants, and then uh, the um, complex extrusion capabilities that go into, you know, developing these products, and then uh, the micro components uh, is frequently in um, in special polymer or um, alloy materials that need to be really miniaturized uh, to perform uh, you know, at, at the level that they were designed for. You know, all, all, all this you know, is, is one example of uh, specific 
kinds of uh, suppliers of outsourcing uh, um, providers that are really mastering uh, you know, the, a, a particular expertise. And, and, and this example, uh, which I articulated a little bit, you know, can, can be made also for other, other verticals, you know, orthopedics, surgery, surgery companies, that, uh, those uh, CDMOs that are um, very skilled at the de developing uh, uh, drug delivery systems. And, you know, they partner very closely with the, uh, with the, with the biopharma industry and so on and so forth, right? I think we could make uh, uh, dozens of examples and 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 still have a lot of, uh, you know, to, to elaborate, but uh, I, this is definitely a fascinating trend and uh, which is making uh, CDMOs uh, perhaps historically looked at as uh, just suppliers, providers of supply chain services more as uh, strategic partners to the medical device uh, companies. And um, uh, that's, uh, that's fantastic to see, especially as uh, I, I have personally been quite involved in the, the deal-making activity in, in, in this space. So yeah, I, I've, I've experienced this convergence of uh, uh, CDMOs into the part of the of medtech that I'm most passionate about, which is innovation. So. I've been privileged to be part of this, uh, you know, this change over the past decade or so. Yeah, that that's a great point. Um, the partnership element—that's something we spoke to recently with uh, one of our customers, CDMO of Tom's Corporation, Vincent Wong, the Chief Quality Officer, and he had a lot of points that can dive more into that partnership value. And and to your point is that these CDMOs are, there's a lot more specialized. We're seeing the, the surgeons of much more specialized where, you know, in the past, when I first started my career, it was all about, you know, the big giant uh, contract manufacturers and the value is at the parts and components level and, you know, your supply, but now it's about that true innovation and, and expertise that is exactly what you just talked about. So that's a, uh, that's a great point. You talk, touched on pharma a little bit. I, I had a conversation recently with uh, a consultant that talked a little bit about the ICHQ12 uh, pharma product lifecycle management requirements um, uh, document, or that was ratified recently by the FDA, and that that gets into how the supply chain is is really important. And they even say the CMO specifically, and and being able to to work with your established conditions and as things change, how are you communicating that with your, your manufacturing and supply chain uh, for improvements, for you know, fixes or issues with the process? And I, I think that's yet another feed to push to say, work with the CMOs, you know, outsource, and also have great tools and secure tools that you can actually share information with these um, CDMOs CMOs, suppliers, and, and be able to share that product design effort with them backwards and forwards, right? Whether, you know, so, you know, the legal manufacturer owns that design, right? They're, they own all the responsibility, I should say. So that that communication and collaboration is critical. And, you know, I'll just ebb in from a, um, a system standpoint to have those, those collaboration tools that are secure provide the right information and also are conducive to ch allow changes to happen on a, a more frequent basis. But that's just a, a little bit from my perspective there. So I, I appreciate your, your, your grander, wider perspective on that too. 
I'm sure there are a lot of uh, um, factors, you know, uh, that uh, are going to continue to make this a very relevant uh, topic for the years to come as uh, the biopharma industry uh, is uh, focused on developing molecules, right? And formulations to treat diseases. But uh, sometimes the way these formulations are developed depend on the, the delivery system. How, how do you um, deliver uh, the, the therapeutics in, into the body? And uh, that's domain for, uh, for more historically has been a domain of, of, of the device world. And so how is this overlap gonna work out? And from a regulatory and quality management point of view, I can only imagine not being a quality expert. Uh, the, the complexity and all the different uh, uh, you know details that this this will entail. So tremendous, uh, the tremendous area uh, you know, to focus on, and with fan- fantastic prospects of, of growth, and uh, hopefully for the uh, in the interest of the patients. Yeah, yeah, improved outcomes and uh, you know generating savings. You mentioned that earlier, and and just garnishing that value. So you summarized it beautifully. Um, I, I think with that, I think I'll um, look forward to our next conversation, which will be at uh, Biomed Device, where you and I and Vincent Wong um, will be on a panel hosted by David Dykman, who is another um, executive uh, on our MedTech Advisory Board. Um, he'll be the moderator for us. So I look forward to you know continuing conversations and um, you know look for that on September 21st and 22nd, Biomed Device will we'll be on the panel there. But I, I look forward to talking to you soon again as well. And, and thank you so much for your time, Rachel and Carlo. It was just a, a great conversation and uh, very enlightening. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Carlo. Thanks to both of you for having me. And uh, I was here in Boston at Biomed Device in a couple of months. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to be notified when a new episode is posted, and please feel free to share it with a colleague. If you have any questions you want answered during an upcoming episode, please send them to podcast at propelplm.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.